Hello, it's that time of the week again. Gather around the table, although it's not my table today. You can still gather around. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Grab your drink of choice, make yourselves comfortable because you're very welcome here. This is Table Conversation and I am Craig Story. Now, you know, Table Conversation, we tip the world towards love one conversation at a time. And this week's conversation is really personal to me and I'm being asked the questions. You may have heard me talk about Crohn's disease on previous podcasts or if you follow me on social media, but I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 2015. And for those of you who don't know, Crohn's disease is a lifelong condition and it's where parts of the digestive system become inflamed and it's one of one type of inflammatory bowel disease. And some of the symptoms are diarrhea, stomach aches, cramps, blood in the poo, weight loss. And there's no real cure for it at the moment and there's no real knowns about what causes it to happen although they do say genetics you're more likely to get it if a close member of your family has it or if there's a problem with your immune system if you smoke even there's a higher chance of you developing Crohn's disease if you have a previous stomach bug or you've got an abnormal balance of those gut bacteria that can also cause Crohn's disease. Now, I asked Simon, one of my friends, if he would ask me the questions to talk about this. And the reason being wanted to talk about it this week is because it is Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week here in the UK between the 1st and the 7th of December. So I'm going to hand the table over to Simon and to say I was nervous is a bit of an understatement, but I was in safe hands and I knew that. So have a listen to what I share about me and Crohn's. Just before you do listen, if you've got smaller ears around or you listen in public, you might want to pop on a pair of headphones. That's because Simon and I are long friends, so there is a little bit of fruity language in there that you might not want other people to hear. So Craig, this is very unusual, me asking you some questions and you being on the other side of the table for a change. How does this feel? Um, do you know what? I'll be honest with you. I actually feel really nervous and I don't know why because obviously I know you really well and we have conversations all the time but I kind of like being in control and I like being the one that directs where the questions are going. I feel like I'm going to just go into my own little world of just spurting out loads more stuff because I'm not as controlled as probably what I would be if I was asking the questions but I'm pleased it's you that's asking me the questions anyway. So I have the control today, so you'll have to take a back seat. Oh, yeah. You don't know what I'm <laughs> going to fire at you. I don't, I really don't. I'm quite excited on that level as well, because it's like, oh, what are we going to talk about? And it's Well, it's a subject close to uh, your heart. I know that you um, have been wanting to talk about this for a while, and it's well-timed because we are recording this in time for the Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week, which is running from the 1st to the 7th of December this year. Uh, so if people don't know um, this about you, uh, you do suffer from Crohn's disease. So tell us a little bit about uh, what, um, how, how you um, got diagnosed with Crohn's. Yes, it's quite a long story, like <laughs> most of my stories. Um, but as you mentioned there, like colitis and Crohn's Awareness Week is really important to me. And I usually share something every year, but I thought this year the podcast is here. Let's talk about it. Um, because really uh, it's something that people don't talk about that often when it comes to anything to do with bowels or toilets and people get a bit nervous about talking about their toilet habits or um, they, they hold it in because they literally <laughs> hold it in because they're, they're worried about what other people might think or say and I probably did feel like that at the start of the journey really I, I mean I had issues with my stomach when I was younger when I was like 19, 20 
Um, I, I went through various tests, like the barium meals, the um, what other tests I go through, like the cameras up and down. And it, it was diagnosed then as like a mild form of colitis. And I was on medication for a little while, things improved, maybe because of age and experience. And then as the years went by, I, I lived quite a normal life without really thinking about it. And then it was six years ago now, I think it was six, maybe seven years ago, um, coming up seven years, um, I started to suffer with a bad back. I remember being away on holiday and I got up off the sun lounge and I thought, oh, I've got a really bad back. And I was like limping around a bit. Other people there with me were saying, God, you, you look like an old man. And I was suffering. And so the time went on and typical sort of male kind of mentality that I thought, oh, it'll just go away. I'll be all right. But then it got to a point where I was in more and more pain. So I did go and see my GP. And at the time I had private healthcare cover, which I was really lucky to have. And my GP said, I'm really sorry to tell you, he said, it's age. He said, you've got, it's probably a disc in your back that you're suffering with. And I was like, oh, okay. How old, were, how old were you then? I mean, I was only early 30s. So I was thinking, oh my days, is this what older age is really You don't about? want to hear that from your GP at that age, do you? No, I thought, is this the start of it? It's all downhill from here. But then he um, referred me to, or through this private company to physio. He said, physio will do you really well. I started having physio sessions. And when I got to see the physiotherapist, he said, oh, your medication you're on is not strong enough, so you need to go back to the doctor, give him this list of drugs, really, that you need to help with your pain. He said, your alignment's out, and he was looking and started giving me exercises, and I'd see him once a week for, I think it was about 10 weeks. And so I increased the dosage of these medications, which kind of probably numbed a lot of the pain that I was going through. But as the time went on, it started to get worse. Um, not the pain in the back, necessarily, but... I started to have sweats in the night. Um, I was green and grey. I was going through different colours. I remember at the time some of my work colleagues were, we were doing this like roadshow conference thing and we're standing up and stage the time. And one of my friends stood at the side and she said, as soon as I walked off, she goes, I thought you were fucking gonna collapse. I can't say that. I thought you, it was Liz, uh, my friend Liz said, I, th I thought you were gonna go then because you looked so ill. And I just carried on because I thought, oh, it's this back. It will get better in the end. Um, but then I remember one evening, my friend Alan was round for dinner and I was in so much pain. I was rolling around on my living room floor. He was like, Craig, I'm going to take you to hospital now. And I was still, no, no, I'll go to the GP again in the morning, which I did stay at home that night. I um, mean, at that point as well, I was craving really sugary drinks. Like I'd wake up in the morning at six in the morning and want like a, like a litre of full fat coke, which just wasn't normal, was it? When I look back at it. And then I went to the GP that next morning, the Monday. She did a bit of a, a poke around my back and had a feel. And she sat me down and she said, I need you to go to hospital now. I'm going to phone through to the hospital, um, which she did. And she printed out a letter and she says, you need to go to A&E and they'll be waiting for you. And I thought, oh, what's going on here? And I felt really uncomfortable. I'd never been really in hospital like that in my life. And she sent me off there. Um, my niece is a nurse and she was at my parents at the time I drove from parents I was like I've got to go to hospital and she actually said there and then she goes I think you should pack some things I was like they're not going to keep me in uh, but they took me to hospital they actually quarantined me for a little while because they thought it could be something tropical because I've been abroad um, but then as the the time went on they did blood tests and they said the inflammation markers were dangerously high 
and I needed to be admitted. They weren't sure at that point what was going on. Um, so that first in the hospital, I was there for 10 nights and while they were doing investigations, uh, they did some CT scans and they actually found at that point when they did the CT scans that I'd got a, what they call a psoas abscess. And in, now I know more about it, at the time I'd never heard of it. And what it was, was the, the lining of my bowel had perforated, but it created, thank God, it created an abscess, like a container where it was all in. It was 11 centimetres by eight centimetres. So it's quite a big abscess, wow. yeah. but it was pushing into that psoas muscle in your back, which hence why I had a bad back. Um, but they fitted a drain to drain that off. And I tell you that when they fitted that drain, they did it under x-ray, which I was awake for the whole time because it just, they numbed everything down. And they fitted that drain and the release of that being, in, I had a little bottle that was attached to my back and the release from that happening, the release of the pain was incredible. And I remember saying to um, the consultant, I just can't re like remember living pain free because it had been so many months because it was the January where it all started and this was now May. Wow. So that's, <laughs> I didn't really get to the point of when I was diagnosed, but so I was released from hospital at that point, but I still had this drain attached because they needed that infection to go away before they could operate. Because at that point, they thought it was just linked to my appendix. They said, oh, it's all an infection in your appendix. But then as time went on, I was in and out of hospital for about three months um, for like week trips at a time. And they had all the other scans. And then in the end, I did have a, a CT scan where they said that it's actually linked to my bowel and the consultant said I think it could be something like inflammatory bowel disease here that's played a role in it and we're going to need to remove part of your bowel as well because it's so badly damaged because they could see it from the it wasn't a CT scan I beg your pardon it was an MRI scan that because obviously that sees things a lot closer and then in the end I was waiting for that surgery and at the point like I said I had private health care cover but it was really interesting to hear the consultant say because I said I'm in the NHS now could I get it done quicker if I went outside of here and he said I could take the money off you I could do this at a private hospital in Leamington Spa if you he said but I really believe you'll be in better hands here because the aftercare within the NHS is so much better than in private hospitals so that was really interesting that's, to that's hear. That's great to hear, isn't it, about the NHS? Yeah, he said anything to do with like bowel care is gold standard here and you will get, he said, I'm here every day, my registrar is here every day, um, so we, we will really look after you here. But it was just waiting, really, and then in the end, um, the do actual diagnosis came after that surgery had happened in the August because they, they did biopsies and checked what was actually going on in my bowel. So that, it was a long way to that discovery, but do you know what? It's, it's a long way for a lot of people a lot of people go years without a diagnosis or being told it's IBS or it's just normal to feel like that, where it's, it's really hard to get diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis. So Craig, we know that you suffer from Crohn's disease, uh, but there's also colitis and IBS. Am I being naive by saying these are all very, very similar? Similar, yeah. I mean, in similar in the ways that they affect the body and it's all to do with your digestive system. Now, IBS, and I know this upsets a lot of people who have Crohn's or colitis, when somebody says, oh, you've got Crohn's, all my friends suffer with IBS. And it's not a competition of who's worse or who's got the worst 
kind of symptoms, but IBS can be more easily controlled. Um, it can be controlled by diet, tablets. Um, it can be sufferers of IBS tend to have eating habits that are different hours, different times that upset the digestive system. It can last for weeks, months, but it's not a lifelong condition, whereas Crohn's and colitis at the moment are both lifelong conditions that there is no cure for. Um, so I know that there's a the difference as well between Crohn's and colitis, whereas Crohn's is any part of your digestive system from the mouth all the way through to the bum. The whole of the system can be affected by the inflammation, um, whereas colitis, it tends to be just the colon. Very similar symptoms um, in terms of how they express themselves. But like I said, everybody with Crohn's or colitis demonstrates or presents with different kind of symptoms. Some people have it where they get constipated even, whereas mine is more complete opposite, where I'm, I'm going to the toilet more and more throughout the day. Um, so yeah, it can be, yeah, I think that the Crohn's and colitis are more similar together than what IBS would be to any of those two. But it's kind of like your, your inside of your digestive system looks like your mouth. If you open your mouth wide, you've got that pinky, sort of healthy, clean looking um, flesh in there. Whereas when you look inside my colon, or I looked in my colon before I had the surgery, it would have been inflamed, red, a bit angry, pimples, looks, doesn't look that good. And it's, all it is really is the body's producing an immune response that it doesn't need to produce. So it's almost like the body's attacking itself um, and it's causing that inflammation or that flaring, as you often hear people talk about flare-ups. Um, so that's what happens. Like I said, colitis tends to be just the colon, Crohn's, it's from the mouth all the way through. So you mentioned there that you had surgery. How was that? What happened? Can you go into more detail about it for us? Yeah, I mean, I, at the time I was probably quite naive to what it involved um, because the the surgeon explained what was going to happen. And at the time I just wanted it all to be over with, not life, but I wanted the whole um, illness to be over with. But he described what was going to happen and what they did. It was, a, it was called a right hemicolectomy. And I was really lucky because they knew at the time I was flying all over the world with work. And they said that the possibility was that I'd be fitted with a colostomy bag temporarily. And then why everything settles down and then they would take the colostomy bag away about three months later and join it back up. So they took about three feet of my colon away, um, which at the time I was like, three feet? But yeah, it sounds a lot. It sounds a hell of a lot. But then he said, don't worry, you've still got 30-odd feet left. It's still all... I'll say reassured you then. <laughs> yeah, I've still got it there. I had a really good relationship, actually, with the surgeon and the registrar, uh, especially the registrar, Sophia. Um, and like she, we, we, she spoke to me like I was human. Like Even when I went in for the consultation, she's like, she's, oh, we get to chop you up. And it's like we had a, quite a bit of a, a laugh about it. And I, like I said, I was probably naive, and I'm glad I was. Because um, when I went for the surgery and they took that part of my colon away, they had to, sometimes people have surgery with um, part, when they have parts of their colon removed or parts of the, uh, or have a colostomy bag fitted, um, they do it what they call like keyhole. I can't remember the laparoscopy, I think is the, the medical word, but keyhole. Um, but because mine was the infection, they couldn't do it keyhole. So they cut me from the top of my stomach down um, to the belly button and open me up that way which meant the recovery was a bit longer but I wasn't prepared for how I would feel after it and I remember one of my friends said to me afterwards well 
when the anaesthetist came, you know, you sign off to say, like, they say, all the, the, in everything, they always say the worst case is you could die. <laughs> it's like yeah, the end of reassuring. it. Reassuring. Yeah, but they, I think they have to now with all the litigation. But then they, he said to me that there's a 90% chance that you will wake up in ITU. He said, because we very often, with bowel surgery, have to put people into induced comas to help the body recover. And I just thought, oh, I never even thought about it. I thought, well, that'll never happen to me. And mindset again, which, you know, I'm a big believer in. I was in the 10% that went back to the ward and I didn't need to go to ITU. I couldn't move, though, because I'd got, I had an epidural to help with the pain and a clicker um, with morphine in it because the the pain of the surgery. But um, you don't realise how much you use your stomach muscles to move around. So, yeah, I wasn't quite prepared for how, like, how long I would be stuck in bed for after the surgery. And did you get fitted with a colostomy bag in the end? I didn't. Again, I, I count myself really lucky. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have been able to cope with a colostomy bag, but it would have been a big change to my lifestyle at that point. And at the time when I was considering it, I sat in the hospital bed with a newspaper looking at job adverts. I thought, I'm just going to have to change everything. And I just thought I wouldn't be able to do the job that I did. Um, and also, regardless, it's scary, isn't it? And I know um, my cousin who's been on the podcast, he has a colostomy bag since his colon surgery with um, the colorectal cancer, and he copes with it brilliantly. And I'm, I'm sure I would have done, but it's just, you have all these things. I'm a single man as well, thinking about meeting someone. And I know some people are absolutely fantastic with it, and I've seen them on TV, on Instagram, that handle it really well. And I'm sure I would have done, but I'm glad I didn't have to. And you talk quite a lot in the previous podcast about your mindset and your positive outlook on life. And you were very lucky in that 10% you went back to the ward. Uh, you didn't have to have the colostomy bag. Um, in episode 10 of this uh, season of podcast, you mentioned that you were talking about confidence quite a lot. How does the, uh, the Crohn's disease affect your confidence in life? Um, it's a good question. You're very good at this, Simon. I'm getting a bit worried that you're going to be taking over the table. Yeah, it... It did at the start more so than probably now. Um, I manage things a lot better because it's like anything that's new for you, isn't it? It's like, it's like it did flip up my life in terms of um, going to the toilet. And even after bowel surgery, your, your bowel doesn't like being touched. So it's very sensitive for quite a while afterwards. And I'm talking like months, years, that it's, it's, it's still sensitive now. But the, um, yeah, it, living with the Crohn's does affect my confidence in terms of Dating is probably the worst area it affects me because there's nothing worse is than meeting someone and someone you really like and then you've got to tell them this about you that it's you're going to the toilet all the time or you're, you're on a first date and you're rushing out to go to the toilet because especially because you're I don't know whether you're like this but when you're nervous or you're uptight about something anybody's stomach can roll over whereas mine's probably a bit more magnified. Um, in terms of Confident, I'm confident talking about it more so now. I think that, and that's been a great help with, uh, which I know um, we'll probably talk about with other people in the public eye that have talked about having Crohn's or colitis. But I think being open has improved my confidence with it. And just, I mean, you know, when we're away or somewhere, we've been away with work in hotels or whatever, and it's, we, it's just open, isn't it? I'm going to go to, when you've got good friends around you, that helps boost your confidence. Well, I talked about that last time wherever I talked about confidence in the podcast that 
having good people around you really helps with that because your friends and your family just take it, oh yeah, that's what he does. He stinks when he goes to the toilet. He makes horrible noises sometimes or he can midway through the dinner and having to rush to go to the toilet. Whereas when it's new people, I, I still find it a little bit of like, when do I tell them this or when do I... But work life, it doesn't really affect me anymore um, because I can fit it around work. I can fit the toilet in. <laughs> and talking about toilet habits, um, while we're on the topic, uh, I know you carry a card in your wallet um, that requests you to have access to um, basically any public toilet or you know private toilet um, where possible. Um, how do you find that in your daily life as well? Do you find that you utilise that facility? Do you feel like you um, you suffer when you're out in public? Um, and how does that affect your confidence as well? Does it affect your where you go, how long you go for, who you go with? Um, it's a brilliant scheme and it's from the Crohn's and Colitis UK. And you sign up and they give you um, newsletters every so many months you get a newsletter that comes through, you get loads of email updates. And it's, it's a small donation, I think it's something like 15, less than 20 pounds a year. And you get this can't wait card, which is a credit card. And it just says you're a member of this um, organization and this person can't wait to go to the toilet, basically. It's called a can't wait card. You also get a key, a radar key they call it, which gives you access to disabled toilets if they're locked. Um, so it's great in terms of supporting that organisation as well because they do a lot of research and they, they push and they lobby the government to make changes when it comes to um, inflammatory bowel disease. And one of the things was, you know, um, they had a big idea behind the campaign of not every disability is visible. And a lot of supermarkets got on board with that shops. They have the signs up now for the disabled toilets. Um, so it... it I haven't had to use the card recently. Um, I'm really lucky because I live right by a retail park and just a couple of weeks ago I was in TK Maxx and the feeling came. And in terms of where I go, it's always nicer to be on your own toilet, isn't it? So I, I thought, can I hold this to get home? Had a basket full of stuff um, that I dumped and then I did go home. Whereas it's, it's okay and I know that um, the shops are really good because they, when they see the card, of course they let you into their staff toilet, which is brilliant. Um, but I would always prefer to go to my own toilet if I can. Nothing um, like your own throne, is there? No, there's not. And yeah, you just feel more comfortable, don't you? you? Do. Especially yeah. when sometimes like the noises <laughs> when you have Crohn's disease and diarrhea, it's not, not pleasant, but it is a brilliant scheme and it's, it's a great, great that so many shops and stuff are on board. But it is important that when you see somebody walk out of a disabled toilet, just to have that in your mind or just part in a disabled bathe. And I, I don't have a, a blue badge. Mine doesn't warrant that at this stage. I wish I could get hold of one, but the um, yeah, it doesn't warrant a blue badge. But some Crohn's and colitis sufferers do carry a blue disabled badge with them and they park in spaces that can get them to toilet quickly. So it's not always people with walking sticks that need disabled toilets. It could be me, and I've used, I've used disabled toilets, particularly at train stations and places where it's really busy and I need access quickly. Um, but I have lowered my standard of toilets, especially because it could really restrict me. I could think, like, I went to India a couple of years ago on holiday, and that could restrict me. You know, when you're eating at beach shacks, I'm thinking, I might have to go to the toilet here. But I mean, in India, it's like, where do you go? And I always think now, as long as I've got the stuff to clean myself up with, I've got the wipes, I've got my own toilet roll, it's just about making those preparations. So it doesn't stop me from going to places, but it does mean I, I think about 
what am I going to do? And I'm, like I said, it's, um, it's a lot worse for some people who are more conscious, but now you even get like those sprays, like the mini, like VIP oh, sprays, yeah. you can spray around. So if you are more conscious, then you can sort of be a bit more under the radar. And obviously we've spoken about, um, obviously the toilet, uh, the toilet habits and um, how it affects that part of the body. But what about other parts of your body? Does it affect um, your skin or your general well-being in general? How, how else does it affect how you feel when you um, live your daily life? So, um, like I said, for everyone with Crohn's or colitis, it's different. And some people, um, like I said, suffer with constipation, they vomit, they um, get abdominal cramps, they get diarrhea. For me, it is the uh, abdominal cramps that I get. I get scripy kind of stomach and I also suffer with diarrhea. Um, so with that in mind, one of the things, like if you can imagine, like say if you can imagine when you've been ill yourself and you've had an upset stomach and you, you go to the toilet five or six times that day, you feel absolutely drained, don't you? And some days I do feel like that, especially if I've ha eaten something maybe that has had a, a, a reaction in my stomach or I've, I just for whatever reason, I'm going to the toilet a lot in one day. The most I would go, the most at the moment on a, on a bad day would be like six or seven times in the day. And if I do that, then I do feel drained. And it's really hard, especially when you've got commitments or you're working or you've arranged to go and see your friends on that night. And sometimes I, I do have to really push myself because I just feel wiped out. Um, so yeah, the fatiguing bit is the worst bit for me. That's the sideline of the, the diarrhea. But I try to do all I can in terms of diet, in terms of what I do um, to keep keep that away and just keep going to the toilet as little as possible and I know from you know working with you um, being in social settings with you that you know you will make a joke of it now that when you need to go to the toilet you know Craig needs to go to the toilet and you know we laugh we, we laugh we talk openly about your bowel habits because why not um, an interesting fact that I read on the internet was that 33% of patients are diagnosed before the age of 21 so to go through that as a young person, must be incredibly difficult. Um, you said you started feeling the symptoms of this around the age of 19. Mm. So how, how did it affect you that young? How did your parents and your family uh, support you? Were they aware? Um, the, we, we can talk about it now openly because there's loads of information out there um, with social media and the internet and celebrities. Uh, but, you know, back when you were 19, it's not that long ago. But <laughs> it is. Uh, how was it back then when you, you discussed these things? Uh, I think when you're 19, when you're younger, I feel for anyone that gets diagnosed anything more serious when they are younger because everything affects you, doesn't it? And you're so much more conscious of who you are and what you're about when you're younger because you're just finding yourself, aren't you? You're finding what makes you tick and you, you rely so much on what other people say and think about you. When I was younger, I was really bad with it, really, because I, I didn't want, I just shut it out. It was like I was going out with my friends at weekends. I, I mean, one of the stories, actually, I was in Blackpool on a weekend away with my friends and I was in, like, waiting for the queue in the nightclub and I really needed to go to the toilet. And one of my friends was like, a few drinks in, Craig, like, he got to the bouncer and was like, my mate really needs to go to the toilet. He's going to have to go or he's going to shit himself and then so the the, the crowd parted and I walked through and everybody was like clapping and so I mean I was drunk at that point so it wasn't so much an issue but yeah I probably shut it out you don't want to deal with it because you're young it's like I'm li I don't want to deal with that at that point and then that's probably why I didn't really go down the road of like pushing for further investigations into what was going on at that time because I just wanted to live my life as a normal 
20 or odd. I mean, so dangerous, but I used to pop Imodium for fun. I used to be taking Imodium before nights out, because I thought, oh, if I take two Imodium and then I take two while I'm out, then it'll stop me from needing the toilet. Wow, okay. So, and I suppose it's much easier nowadays for a younger person um, because of the, the public information that's out there and, of course, the, the public figures that have got uh, Crohn's or colitis. Um, you know, a couple that I've researched lately, uh, uh, Sir Steve Redgrave, the uh, Olympic rower, um, you know, five times Olympic champion. And it just goes to show you that it doesn't stop you from achieving your dreams. Uh, we've got the uh, famous singer Anastasia. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know, actually, and I don't know whether you know either, but, you know, she's been diagnosed since um, the early 80s of having Crohn's. No, I didn't know that about Anastasia. And you just think, again, it doesn't stop her from living her life. You'd never even realise. Um, and if we saw you on the street, you'd never you'd never realise. It's just part of who you are. And, you know, it doesn't affect your daily life that much now because you've mm. had your surgery. Everything is, you know, thankfully under control for, for you and the um, disease. Um, and then we, um, I know you're a big Strictly fan. I am, So yeah. um, we've been speaking about this a couple of weeks ago when it came on to the, uh, the BBC, the Amy Dowden uh, documentary, The Strictly Pro uh, Dancer, and her story of Crohn's. And it was really insightful, um, especially for young people um, and young girls and boys that were, are suffering um, mm. as well. So how did Amy's story affect you? And what do you think the benefit of that, having someone like Amy, um, a really modern, influential uh, person, how, how does her story affect you and younger people? So just as you said, really, because Amy, you see her dance on a Saturday night and you see that she's there on Strictly. She's got the hair, she's got the makeup. She's an amazing dancer and she's brilliant at what she does on that programme. And you, you could watch her and you would never know that what was really going on behind the scenes some days for her. Um, in term, I don't know some days how she does it in terms of like exhaustion levels and what she must have to put into it. So it was really insightful to see. And I think it's so important that people like her do, who have got a huge platform and a real opportunity to make a difference. And, and I know that's probably why she did it, because she put it out there and she made herself so vulnerable by her partner was filming her while she was going through the worst of times with a flare up. And I think it was really brilliant in a, weight raising awareness so more people know what Crohn's and colitis is. Um, in terms of then younger people looking to her as someone to inspire them that if she can achieve and do what she's doing, living with that condition, then I can do the same. And I think it, and that, not just young people, because that does for me, I think, do you know what? Look at what she's achieving and look what, look what she's doing. With all that still going on in the background, it doesn't go away, but she's there performing, having the time of her life at the top of her game, but she, she's trying to manage the Crohn's in with it as well. So yeah, I, I really love that documentary because I've got a, a lot of respect for her and what she's achieved and what she's gone through from a very young age and her diagnosis was a long time coming and and she, um, it was, I actually got emotional really when I watched the bit where she was talking with her parents and her mum and dad were saying like she missed competitions and she, they, they said that they knew how ill she was, but some people in the medical profession at that time weren't aware of what was going on or weren't pushing to, to find out what was happening. So as parents, it must be really frustrating. I know for when I was even going through it in my 30s, I know 
how much it upset my mum and dad and when they were on the phone to the hospital checking in what's going in. So I know that it, it, it ripples, doesn't it, anything like that. But in terms of public figures speaking out and saying that they talking about their experiences. I think it's really important when you've got a platform to use it for some good. And Amy always does. She's a massive supporter of Crohn's and Colitis UK as well. Definitely. Um, we love Amy on this podcast. Um, so Amy said that she has certain trigger points when she has a flare up. Um, she said that it starts with the swollen eyes. Then she has to call the doctor. She said she's learned to listen to her body. Um, she noticed things get out of tune um, and she needs to rest, simply just rest and drink plenty of water. How about for you, how does your body let you know that you are having a flare-up or you know, potentially going to be suffering? So it starts um, for similar in terms of way, not my eyes, my lips go really quite dry because like diarrhea is dehydrating for anyone. So all of your, your nutrients, everything's just been zapped out of your body. So your body lets you know quite quickly that something isn't quite right. I will start, yeah, with dry lips, I, I start to feel a bit, and I know I've got to drink water and, and rest at that point. And hopefully for me, because the worst part of my colon is gone now, it's, it's easier to manage because if that was still there, that would, it would still be causing me more problems. I'd have more flare-ups. Where as it, when I have a flare-up for me, it's, it's not as long as what it could possibly be. So it could be just for a few days where I can just have to manage what I'm eating or even fasting and giving my stomach a chance to rest is a, is a good way of, for me. But yeah, it'll start off with the dryness, continue with diarrhea, and I'll have that griping. And my stomach almost talks. Like you can, I could be sitting here and it'd be like really quite loud what's going on in there. Um, so that's how I'll know that, oh, something's not quite right. And sometimes it can be within, I, I know it's going to come because... I slip out of habits and I'll think, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to eat that anyway. I know it's going to cause me pain, but I'm going to eat it. And I know what's going to happen after that. And that was going to bring me on to my next question. You and I are quite fond of a, a local curry house. Um, and we go there occasionally uh, with work colleagues. So what about doing things differently in your daily life? Do you have to think before you go somewhere, like when we go to the curry house, do you have to think about what you're going to eat? I know you've adopted... Um, a meat-free lifestyle lately um, has that benefited you do you think with your um, disease definitely like there and there's, there's evidence out there actually not necessarily linked to Crohn's and colitis but eating red meat isn't that great for us we know that it's not good for us um, and I think it's something to do with the cells in the animals that are um, like red meat uh, beef lamb pork whatever they attach more easily to our cells and they, they're harder to digest. So when you've already got a compromised digestive system, it, it's going to cause a problem. And I'd, I used to love steak and I'd have a steak like quite rare, so like almost mooing. And I, I would suffer quite badly after that. So what I did last year, um, I thought, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try having five days where I eat a, a vegetarian diet and then two days where I eat meat. And I did that and I saw the improvement. And then when it got to Christmas time last year, I thought, do you know what? I might as well just go full hog here because I could see the improvement. I'm sure I'd probably be okay with chicken, fish. But I, it, for me, it's working at the moment. Never say never. And I might have that ultimate craving one day where I, I really need a steak and I'll eat it. Um, but it also, it's not, and since doing it, it also makes me feel good about um, 
animals as well. When I look at them, I can look at them in the eyes and say, do you know, I walked through a field the other week with loads of sheep and I, they actually, it was really weird because I was walking through this field with Sarah and um, Willow, her dog, and <laughs> she'll be listening now, but the sheep all sort of gathered behind me. I was like the Pied Piper of sheep. And I said to Sarah, it's because I don't eat them. They know that they I'm like okay. you. I know, they know that I'm a, they're okay, but I don't think I could go back to eating red meat. I don't think I could do it now. And how do you feel about um, alcohol consumption with um, Crohn's as well? I, <laughs> oh, again, I wonder we, why you asked this question. We, we, we like a drink when we meet up occasionally. And, um, you know, can, can alcohol uh, affect the, the bowel and the, the disease as well? Yeah, it's a real problem because you, when you think about inflammation, and inflammation is a problem in somebody's body who has Crohn's or colitis, and alcohol causes inflammation you if you have a heavy night on the booze you end up with the shits the next yeah, morning the toilet, yeah. and it's and but it's just magnified for me and it's choosing wisely um i don't drink as much as what i used to well it's probably because i'm growing up as well and not not sort of some people will laugh as i say that but um choosing wisely with your drinks i always think that um I don't know whether it's proven or not, but like higher quality drinks, I tend to, they're nicer to taste and they're also um, a bit easier on the body. People always ask why I drink tequila as well, but tequila, like the 100% agave natural tequila, I don't think is as harsh to the body. Maybe I'm making that up, I don't know, but yeah, I'm mindful about, I, because I, I, it's not just the diarrhea that might come from the drinking, it could be it's it's a tiredness as well, isn't it? And if I'm already feeling like that, it, it, it's not good for me to be drinking. And certainly when I, I mean, I was when I was first referred to, and that is, this is another point really to make because the hospital do keep in touch with you all of the time, and I go for regular checkups. And the hospital that I'm registered at, we have um, an inflammatory bowel disease nurse, a specialist nurse, and she's brilliant. You have a mobile number, not her person, obviously. They have a team mobile number that any worries or concerns, I can call that number. I've got it stored in my phone. Um, but I had a blood test after I'd been for a couple of glasses of wine and I only had like two large glasses of wine. The next day I went for the blood test, thought, oh, nothing of it. She phoned me and she said, you've got acute kidney injury. And I was like, oh my days, what's that? And then she said, you didn't drink alcohol. And I was like, yeah, I did. And just two big glasses of wine causes that to your kidney. Wow. So it's, it's not good for any of us to drink, but yeah, I. Sometimes I do enjoy a drink, as you know, but it's just moderation. Yeah, everything in moderation. We've got to enjoy those mm. little, um, th those nice things in life occasionally. Yeah, haven't we? definitely. And obviously, we're coming up to Christmas time uh, shortly. So, what difference does what differences do you make to your lifestyle when it comes to Christmas? Do you have to think about um, people you're going to meet up with, the social settings? Because obviously, there is more food, uh, more indulgent, rich foods, more alcohol generally. Um, do you find that if you, you know, meet, a, you know, a friend once every couple of days that your body's really suffering by the end of the week or do you feel like you've got it completely under control now? No, I'd have to be really careful about if I was eat, meeting someone once every other day or, yeah, I would have to be really careful. I'd have to make different choices for the food. I couldn't eat like a rich dinner two days on the trot or too many times in the week I'd have to choose who I wanted to eat that rich dinner with and mix it up a little bit because yeah be, my system wouldn't cope with it 
And what about your um, your work life? So obviously you travel around the world uh, quite a lot for your employment. How does um, traveling affect your your bowel move your bowel movements and your your body as well with all the different time zones? And you already mentioned there about traveling to India on holiday. Um, is it something you think about, or is it just you've adapted to it now and it's just part of your your, your daily life, your rituals? Yeah, I do. I think adapting to it, I think that at the start it was nerve-wracking because thinking when I go up in the sky again, what's going to happen to my insides? It's like they've all been sewn up. But no, I was It was. I was nervous at the start. But yeah, you just interact. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I couldn't go for a poo on an aeroplane or I couldn't go for a poo on a train. But I've, I've lowered those boundaries now. Like I could go for a poo anywhere um, because it just, because it, we all do it. And if I need to do it, then I can't be in the pain of trying to hold it in. Or, of course, yeah. When so, you've got to go, you've got to go, haven't you? It's so. true. And so, and holding it in is really bad for us all, including like wind when we hold that in. It's better to just let it all out. And yeah, I don't. Um, the, like I said, the boundaries of which kind of toilet I'll use are so low. But even if I'm squatting over a hole in, in a place in India, as long as I'm can clean up and do what I need to do, then I'll just do it because it's we all do it. And if people who live in India. That is their only toilet. It's like that's the reality of life, isn't it? We only invented these thrones or these toilets within the last few hundred years. Definitely. Um, now, an interesting fact that um, I had a look at the other day on the the Crohn's and Colitis website uh, coming up to the Awareness Week: uh, one in two hundred and ten people in the United Kingdom are suffering from Crohn's and colitis. So it's it's a massive amount, really, if you think about it's it. It's a lot more you know, common, and it's like what you said earlier that, that not every disability is visible, and we could be working with these people. Uh, we could be, you know, um, could be members of our extended family, friends, um, and actually raising awareness of Crohn's and colitis is so important. Um, the work that the charities do, uh, we'll put it in the uh, episode notes, a link to the the charity as well. But talking out like you've done today, speaking out about your uh, disease it's really going to help a lot of people yeah how many um do you know any other sufferers of Crohn's and colitis I do um yeah I know somebody that I work with who has colitis um I know somebody I work with who also has Crohn's so and it's been like a little conversation when we see each other it's like we, we huddled it's like a special team or a special club um that we talk about our experiences and, and what's going on and what's happening and I know one of them certainly she's still going through a lot of investigations with what's going to work for her um, in terms of treatment again because the worst part of my colon is gone um, I'm on like the lowest form of tablets that I take every day I also take vitamin b12 because that part of my colon that was removed um, was the bit where the, you absorb vitamin b12 so I had a deficiency in that um, but yeah in terms of other types of treatment. I know that this one person that I work with, she's having um, immunosuppressant where she has to go into hospital for a drip every few days. And I know that a lot of people have to do that in terms of their treatment. So again, I'm really lucky with where I'm at in terms of um, that. But yeah, it's nice to have other people around you that like we, we, we connect with people that are similar to us or going through similar experiences. And because I'm a bit further down the line than her and got used to it, um, more so that I can offer her bits of advice that I use. So you just touched on medication there. So you take what one tablet a day? I take two in the morning, two in the evening for Crohn's. Um, that was reduced down last year. I was taking double that amount, but because things are so good at the moment, they were 
happy to reduce the medication, which is brilliant. I can always up them if things get out of hand. So I'm on probably the lowest form of medication you can be on for Crohn's. And that's amazing, isn't it? You think about medical science and where we've come to even the last couple of years. And, you know, I was watching the news the other day about, you know, changes in HIV medication and things. You know, medical science is just fantastic and ever evolving. So who knows in the future, there may just be one tablet a day that you take. Mm. Um, and there may be even, um, you know, cures out there eventually. Yeah, they're working on a vaccine at the moment. They're researching it. Not a huge amount of money gets put into research for treatments for Crohn's and Clytus and they, they haven't come to a, a solution for it yet but I'm sure within my lifetime we'll see it I'm sure because look what they do that it's amazing isn't it Definitely. what they can achieve and what are the some what are some of the common misconceptions about Crohn's and colitis that really annoy you so if you were having a conversation with people over a dinner table for example um, and the the subject of you know, uh, toilet habits and Crohn's and colitis came up. What are the really, what are the bugbears that really annoy you or the mi common misconceptions? Um, things that bug me, um, not because I know a lot of it is not ignorance. Well, maybe it is ignorance because a lot of people don't know anything about it. So some of the things when people um, describe it, oh, well, I had, um, I had a stomach upset the other week and it's, and it's like, well, Actually, this is with me forever at yeah, the moment. It's, it's completely not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing. So I think, I think people just want to try and make you feel better. My weight fluctuates quite a lot where I can put weight on quite quickly. I can lose weight really quickly if I've got a flare up and I'm going to the toilet more. Um, and people, some people say to me, oh, I wish I could lose weight, like you, how you can lose it. And it's, that's not always the case. And like in, in some ways, when it comes to weight, actually my IBD nurse, well, if I put weight on, she's like, oh, I'm really happy you put weight on because it, it kind of gives you that reserve. I know we all want that healthy balance of where we're at. Um, but yeah, that's one thing that gets me. People say, oh, I wish I could lose weight how you lost weight. Or you could do with a flare up to help you lose some weight when I've cut weight on. I've heard people's, people have said that to wow. me. So yeah, I don't, that's minor annoyances, but it's just thinking, isn't it? It's thinking about what you say to someone. Um, and again, I think it's not from a bad place. It's just because they want to, they want to feel connected to you in some kind of a way. So you've mentioned in quite a few of your podcasts over the uh, the couple of seasons you've been running now uh, and the year anniversary. Happy anniversary for Thank the podcast. Thank you very much. Where's the cake? Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, so you've got um, a lot of techniques that you use that um, aren't, you know, medication or. Um, anything like that, that you actually use a lot of rituals, a lot of exercises that you've developed over um, your lifetime. Just talk to us about these alternative um, solutions that you come up with and how they affect you and how they benefit you uh, when it comes to your Crohn's. Yeah, I think anyone who has anything wrong with their health in general, we have to take responsibility for it because the NHS, your doctor, your GP, your nurse, it's not their responsibility. They're there to help you and give you medication if that's what you, road you want to go down or they are there um, to, to give you some of the answers. But then you have to take it, the bull by the horns almost because it's up to you. They're not there to sort every individual. There's no capacity to do it. Um, and I think that in terms of the medication that I take, it's the lower level end, which is brilliant. But to supplement and support that happening, then I have got things that I use that I believe help me. Um, there's no proof. And I think that in the modern world, we're always looking for the proof or the science behind everything where that wasn't there right, in the ancient times. Some of these things like, for example, meditation that I do every morning, I think that just helps anyone in their general daily life. I'm such an advocate of meditation where... 
Um, like I said, we, we're so we're so data and analytical in our modern day heads where we we find it hard to accept things if there isn't like, oh, this is a scientific report behind why this will work for you. Um, so meditation works for me and I'd advise anybody to try it. And I've talked about that before. Again, it's not sitting in a yin position or whatever, the lotus position and omin or whatever you want to call it, all different ways of doing meditation. Now, one thing that I discovered that has got science behind it um, is the Wim Hof method. And I'm like a, a preacher of the Wim Hof method. Purely and simply, the lockdown back in March 2020, I was watching this morning, sat at home, and they interviewed him on there. He did a breathing exercise, and he did this breathing exercise, and I did it along with Holly and Phil on the TV, and I thought, wow, that's just relaxed me. And at that point, we all of our heads were all over the place, weren't they? So I thought, this is really good for mental health to do this. And he also recommended doing a cold shower, like starting off with 30 seconds at the end of your shower. So I just started doing it because we're sat at home anyway. And I didn't correlate till further down the line. I thought, oh, I'm not going to the toilet as much. I wonder if this is because um, I'm at home more, I'm not away. Is it because I'm just living a more simple life through lockdown? And then lo and behold, I started looking into this Wim Hof method a little bit more. And I read um, a guide to it online, which was available. It still is in like a PDF ebook. And because he knew it worked, and he was like, how do I get the world to listen to me, the modern world to listen to me? He went away and did all of the science and some of the universities in America and in the Netherlands where he's from have actually now proven. And one of the conditions it named in this report that the Wim Hof method helps was Crohn's disease. Wow. So I didn't even know. So people say, oh, it's a placebo. It's not really working. I didn't know that that was going to change my... So a combination with Wim Hof is mindset. Um, breathing exercises, doing those every morning, and the um, cold exposure. You do that in a cold bath, or I just have my normal shower, then I flick it to the coldest setting for two minutes. That's all I do. But I built that up from like 15 seconds. So, and there is science behind it by um, more oxygen. When you do this breathing exercise, there's more oxygen that circulates around your body that helps with any kind of inflammation because you're your blood count or your blood cells that fight off these inflammation cells increase so it lowers your inflammation levels and it's proven in science he's done it he's proven this so anybody with arthritis any kind of inflammation based disease it really does help and the same with the cold exposure that's what it does so there's these um, again blood cells that play a role in the inflammation process so when you're exposed to cold, we actually produce a different protein because the stress of being in the cold helps our body produce this type of protein that again lowers inflammation. So it's proven and it helps. So, and I know that when I stop doing it, some days you know what it's like, you're, I've got to be up at 4.30, I might not have time to do 10, 15 minutes of breathing. Um, I, I, I notice a difference in my body. It's really interesting actually, isn't it, that you've got the uh, you know, the, the medication route, you've got the kind of clinical route, but now we've got the alternative routes as well, which a lot of people are trying to source out through, you know, various different individuals or, you know, social media, the internet. Um, and the Wim Hof method um, is a fantastic way of, uh, it doesn't work for everybody, but it's a fantastic way of an alternative remedy, if you like. And like you said, it's not just for Crohn's, it can help with loads of different things. Um, 
and I've, I've, a lot of friends have recommended the Win Hof uh, method to me. So again, yeah. we'll put that into the episode <laughs> notes. Definitely, and it's it's like a synergy. Like my cousin described that perfectly when he using it for his cancer treatment. I know it's nowhere near as bad as cancer treatment, but it's bringing all those things together: diet, mindset, meditation. For me, doing the Wim Hof method along with the clinical side and going in and getting checked out every couple of years, I go for the camera up the the colon. I have the the scans, the blood tests every few months, and keeping that side there as well. It's, it's it all works together. We don't have to have one or the other. And you said as well, supporting it with things like your vitamins, your multivitamins mm. and minerals, uh, and also your changing of lifestyle. So you know you are you are eating a, a meat free diet. You are um, not. You are drinking a little bit less, let's say, uh, and, <laughs> just, and, and watching what you're eating. Um, so all that together, exactly. It's just a, you know, a, you're doing the very best that you can. Yeah, I and I, I think it is, and it's a work in progress, though, isn't it? And like us all, we none of us are angelic, and none of us stick. We're not like uh, like nuns that are so disciplined with everything. I, I've got a good level of discipline, but like anyone, sometimes I veer off, and I think, oh, and, and but then I come back to it. So what if someone is listening and they don't have the, uh, maybe the mindset that you have, maybe they don't have the, um, maybe they're not in the same place that you are at the moment, maybe they are suffering, um, you know, in silence and they need a bit of help, what would you recommend them to do? Start off small. I think that don't, uh, big changes are really hard for anyone to muster, even like with the meat free, I did it gradually. Um, but I would start off small in terms of, um, if it is about your mindset and changing the way you think about things, then start off by like, and, and what works for you? Because I like to meditate first thing in the morning, as soon as my eyes open, I mean, I like that state where some people prefer to do it in the evenings or it's, it's you've got to want to make an improvement in the way that you're living or the way that your life is. If you are suffering, then that's that's a good point to be at. And I remember um, being in that hospital bed and reaching a really low point. But when I look back at that now, I'm glad I reached that low point because once you hit that, it's like the only way is up. up and you start making steps about what can I do? What can, what is working for me? And my auntie actually called me Pollyanna when she came to visit me because I was like, oh, and I've had this drain taken out today because you're just looking for anything that's positive, positive. and just to help. And sometimes it only happens when you reach the lower part. So, and like I said, make small steps, even just clearing your mind and being present for a few minutes in a day and even just looking at yourself in the mirror we get so busy and caught up in running around all the time that we forget who we are I mean I heard one tip where somebody said that they just look at the hand for a few seconds just to bring themselves back into the body and I know it sounds a bit far out for a lot of people but be open to trying these things as well like the Wim Hof method if I wasn't I was like oh that's a load of baloney that'll never work whereas really that has changed my, my life so it's everything factored together. It's a layering effect, if you yeah. like. Positive mindset, it's alternatives, it's your clinical. Um, what if somebody is really suffering though, Craig, and you know they, um, they really need some help? So what are the telltale signs that something is wrong with their bowel, their, their, their digestion? They think maybe they are having uh, flare-ups of you know, something like um, even IBS, uh, Crohn's or colitis. Where, where, are the, where can they go? First step would be to see a GP and I think they are really good at seeing people. I mean, I know at the moment or the past couple of years people have said they're struggling to get face-to-face appointments. But if you speak to a GP or go to your walk-in centre or if you can't get hold of a GP, I'll probably get killed by somebody in the NHS saying this, but turn up at A&E, see someone. 
Um, but they are usually quite good when it comes to things like this because there is a risk that it could be something more serious, especially if you've got blood in your poo and you go into the toilet or you notice a mucus in your poo when you go to the toilet. If you've had diarrhea for more than seven days, that's not normal. Um, so that would be a flag that you need to go and get checked out. If you're having frequent pains and aches or cramps in your stomach, you need to get investigated. It might not be anything as serious as Crohn's or colitis or it might be something that can be fixed more easily. You, you don't know. And another telltale sign is unexplained weight loss. If you're losing weight um, without any reason, if you're not on a diet, you think, oh, this is fantastic. The weight's just dropping off me. I'm eating everything. Then that can be a, a sign for many things. So I would say just go and speak to your GP and don't hold back because you know what? I mean, the first time I saw my GP, his fingers went into my bum, but it's... It's, you're, you're just, it's just a process for them and they just want to help. And you said as well, it wasn't the first GP that got you a solution, it was the second GP. Mm. So if it doesn't work first time or you're not happy with the outcome, you know, there's plenty of other people out there. There are plenty of specialists that can see you and support you um, and, you know, just never give up, really. You've got to take responsibility for it. And even if you are suffering, it's, they, they don't come knocking at your door you have to go knocking at their door. Even when you have a blood test, you've got to knock on the door to get the answer of what came from that blood test. Because they've got so many people they're dealing with them. We have to accept that. And we have to accept that um, they are stressed. So you have to be the squeaky wheel because then you get the oil. And of course, you can always offer individual guidance on all your socials. I am Craig Story. I am there everywhere. Yeah, like a, like a bad penny. Like, I am the squeaky wheel on social media popping up. <laughs> Now, Craig, we, uh, you ask everybody these questions at the end of your podcast. So it's only right that now I ask you these questions on the end of your table conversation. So, Craig, if you were sat at a table with me right now, what would you be drinking? I, well, you know what I'd be drinking. It would be, with you, it would probably be an Argentinian Malbec. Um, but based on what we said before, most of my friends said, oh, it'd be anything. He could be drinking anything. But uh, maybe I should say a herbal tea. But no, with you, it'd be a nice glass of Malbec. With a salty snack. Yeah, I like my snacks with the wine. We do, Plain yeah. snacks. And then, Craig, dead or alive, pick three people you would dream of having a conversation around the table with. This was so hard, and I didn't realise how hard it was for people when I asked them this, this question. Um, but in terms of what we talked about today, I would have a conversation with Wim Hof, because he's been a massive teacher in my life, and I, I love everything that he's about and what he does. So I'd love to chat to him more about that and his life experiences of what, what's brought him. And I mean, he's climbed Everest in a pair of shorts. Come on, he's got a lot to answer. Um, somebody else in terms of like, teaching and learning and finding out about life would be Brené Brown. I've spoken about her quite a lot on the podcast, but she has this way of storytelling, like the nuances and the, the things that we face in life and explaining why they're there. And I just have loads of questions to ask her. The last person would be my nana. And the reason behind that is she died when I was 22. So at that age, I, I didn't ask her all those questions that you want to go back and ask about family and her life growing up I'd love to I'd love to sit down with her for that couple of hours around the table and ask more ask more about what life was like for her growing up and all the other members of the family three amazing people to be around the dinner table with so you're at a dinner party table what one song would you want to hear on the background music playlist now this song um, I picked this morning when I was driving here because I thought the 
it resonated with this podcast quite a lot because um, when I was in hospital, I used to listen to this song and I even created a a, a photo montage with the, the the song on afterwards to thank all of my friends and it was um, Bruno Mars, Count On Me, because it when the chips are down and they were really down at that point for me and I would want those people and new friends around the table with me so I'd want to hear that song because I think there's a real message in that when things are down you can count on me so I like I, it's yeah it's a special song. And Craig what's currently on your table? My whole kitchen at the moment I'm in my, ki <laughs> my kitchen is um, being done at the moment so everything is there it's chaos I've got everything out, not everything out of my kitchen, but like that I'm using my dining table as my kitchen. So yeah, and I'm not very good when my space is cluttered. I like minimal clean lines. I don't like clutter around. So yeah, my whole kitchen is on my table. So literally your kitchen sink is on your kitchen table. I don't even have a sink. I've got a washing up bowl that I have to use, but yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there. And Craig, finally, what do you find the worst table habit? mobile phones without a shadow of a doubt it really bugs me when people have their phones sat on the table or they're midway through talking to you at dinner and then you can see them sneaking under the table messaging if you want to be with other people at dinner then go and be with them you don't have to be sat there with me it's okay um so yeah mobile phones is a is a bugbear of mine well great thank you craig it's been uh, fantastic to turn the tables on you for a change i know and to ask you some questions because you're very good at asking everybody else the questions you've been brilliant so, yourself so thank you for asking well, thank you for ha thank you for having me and it's such an important topic um in um we said it's Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week on the 1st to the 7th of December. We're going to put all the information, uh, all the details that we spoke about during this episode into the episode notes. Um, and that will be available wherever you get your podcasts, of, wherever you download your podcasts of choice from. Oh, you've got it. You've got the lines there. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for flipping those tables on me. Like I said, you've made it a very comfortable experience, but just don't get staying up your own podcasting competition <laughs> with me now. But... No, I think, I, think you're in, uh, I think you're okay. I think you can manage it on your own. Thank you. Thanks once again, Simon. I really do appreciate you asking me those questions. You were so good at it. And I hope that you listening have found some interesting bits there and it's raised your awareness of Crohn's or colitis or if you are a fellow IBD sufferer then I hope you resonated with some of that story and I hope it brought you a bit of comfort hearing someone else talk about that. With that in mind there are tons of resources on the Crohn's and Colitis UK website, links will be in the episode notes and it's interesting to hear that by talking about it actually helps raise awareness because 75% of sufferers felt that the public didn't understand their needs last year. Um, one in four people with Crohn's or colitis waited for more than a year for their diagnosis, which is something I just mentioned in that chat there. Also, 76% of people with Crohn's and colitis feel the public don't understand their conditions. So I hope this has gone some way for those that are suffering to help other people understand what the conditions are about. And as I said, I'm quite lucky at the moment with mine at this stage who knows what the future holds but for today I'm doing really well so if you want to find out more information then like I said Crohn's and colitis website links and links to the NHS will be in the episode notes and of course you can share this episode with anyone you know who's suffering or 
feel that if you are a sufferer, then you want people to hear a different story or hear more about Crohn's and colitis or inflammatory bowel disease, then share this episode with them. On a personal note, without getting too softy, I did say that it is about the people that are around you. And a, a huge thank you to firstly my family who supported me through that tough time and were there sitting by my bed every day actually I think I only had one uh, sorry I only had um, one visiting slot that wasn't covered during that time I was so lucky and my friends as well who dragged me out when I didn't want to go out and I didn't want to go to places with this bag attachment with the drain I was forced to by my friends and I'm so happy that they did that because even walking into a club (laughs) a party bag with my drain in and been stopped by the bouncers but I'm so happy that they made me do that because it meant that it was normal and I didn't have to hold back so all of my friends who supported me at that time and the friends that I have now are so understanding sometimes when I do have to drop out of things at the last minute because I'm exhausted or they understand that I leave the dinners early or I make terrible smells and noises in their houses and they just take it all within their stride and make me feel okay about it all which some I know for some people who suffer that's that's not the case so oh I didn't think that would make me feel emotional but there but it did so thank you thank you thank you that's it for this week and a big thank you to you for listening and for hearing my side of the story and um, I hope to join you again very soon around the table and I'll be waiting here for you you know I'm always here waiting and if you want that to happen and you want to be here then click that little follow button wherever you're listening until that next time goodbye